The scripture for today's sermon comes from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. This is the word of God to us. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Jemira, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. This is the very word of God to us. Hey, good morning. My name is Chad Puckett. You can be seated, but in your doing, you really need to give it up for Stacy right there and all the names she had to read. That was a lot of words. That was a lot of names, and you feel those names. I'll tell you right now, when we get into this text, I'm skipping all those names. I'm just going to skip them. She read them. We're going to move on and let her read them, all those things. Before we jump into this, let's do just a little bit of family business. We got to do this. And it's weird for me to stand up here for this, so I'm going to come down. I'm going to ask these ladies to stand up here with me, all three of these ladies, all three of these ladies. So uh, most of you know, if you haven't had a chance, you should have. This is Leah Swank and her baby Holland. Leah has built our kids' ministry here over the last two years, and we are thankful. The, the meetings, the times that we've sat down, and she's brought me all sorts of plans that we've had to change and move and do different things with, uh, not lost on me, not lost on me. You have had a very hard job over the last two years. You have stepped into things that you did not even realize you were stepping into, and, and then you've done it with grace and kindness and, and mostly happy 
words to us, mostly, mostly. She's able to sit at this table and give it right back to us all the time, and we're thankful for you. Uh, You may notice that she is holding one baby Holland, and this is leading to a transition that we have right here in which Leah is stepping off of our team at the new year. We are so thankful for you. You're not stepping out of our lives or stepping out of uh, this. We're trying to walk this out as a family. We, we want to continue in relationship with you and Devin and Heston and Holland and all of it, every bit of it. We want to continue in this, but it is a new season for you and your family. We're thankful for you. I want to encourage each of you over the next few weeks, whether it's today or others, to really come and love on this lady. She has served our kids in really beautiful ways, and we want to honor her. We want to honor her and say thank you in really real ways. That's right. That's right. What that means is that we have a transition which leads us to this third lady that we have standing up here, and we have Melinda Johnson who is going to step in to this role and carry this for us. She is thinking in the future of what it looks like as we move into a new building, a new season. How do we continue to care for and love these kids and families in this area? And Melinda, Melinda and I go way back. Uh, Melinda, we're excited for you to step on this team. We're excited for you, for Walter, for your kids and what that looks like for you guys moving forward in it. I'm encouraging our church to come and meet Melinda and her family in the days ahead and to think and to say, how can I help? I guarantee these ladies will have an answer to that question. All right? Give it up for these ladies and get to know them, honor them, thank them, and see how you can help as Melinda steps in. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's see how this works. Hopefully you were like, wait a second, I came here for a Christmas Advent message and you led me to exile and slavery and a bunch of weird names in the middle of this. Yes, yes, I did. I want to pray for you. I want you to pray for me and let's ask God to meet us in this, okay? Let's ask God. Father, we need you. We need your help. We need you to lead us past just religion and superficial sentimentalities. We need you to lead us to the cross. We need you to lead us to real hope and where real joy is found. We need you. Not one of us needs another show. Not one of us needs another service. Not one of us needs to just uh, chicken soup for our soul in this. We need the spirit of God to meet us, and we're asking you to do that today. Praise you. I need you for all of those things. I need hope. I'm weary. God, we're asking you to meet us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in Jeremiah today. There may be at least one verse in there that you're really familiar with, that maybe you've heard, maybe you've seen it on a bumper sticker or a nice macrame thing on someone's wall. Maybe you've seen verse 11, and what we want to do is put some of that in context and recognize that we're in a a season, a Christmas season, that is full of all this weird tension. I I think we, we... we suddenly have packages show up at our house and gifts and all sorts of things around the tree, all sorts of things. And I saw one of them, it's a bag, and it just says joy on it. And it just fills my heart with like, I'm going to find joy with what's in that bag. And we know that's wrong, right? Or we 
Sometimes, no, that's wrong. We, we have all these things. This season leads us to all these weird tricks in our head and our heart. And, and it, it actually distracts us in so many ways. And, and we just keep kind of getting confused as to what joy is and where it's found. In fact, we screw this up on a myriad of levels. But let me just give you one example. Christmas joy is actually the title of a Hallmark movie. We can reduce it to all sorts of things, but let me just say this. I'm not trying to bag on Hallmark movies, but I, I raised three girls. I'm in, I'm in the thick of raising three girls, and I've seen every Barbie movie that has come up over the years. And Hallmark movies are just Barbie movies for grown-ups. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same storyline set in a different thing with different directions. They're the exact same things. And so when we put just Christmas joy on it, you can know there's going to be some weird romance between a prince and, and, a, and a secretary somewhere, and they're going to find their way into a town square, and it will be snowy and beautiful and everything. Well, guess what? That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> it's not Christmas joy. It's fun. I guarantee you I will watch a Hallmark Christmas movie this year. <laughs> I have three daughters around my house. It's going to happen. But it's also like this weird tension that we find and these longings that we're left with of like, that Christmas movie doesn't actually alleviate my longings. That bag that says joy on it actually is probably something nice, but it's not going to take away these longings that I have. And what we're trying to do is take uh, uh, this, this long thread of Scripture that starts on the beginning pages and, and kind of show where these longings that, we're, that we have are actually satisfied. And so we started with hope. And we, we were like, we need hope because we know that we're sinful people, whether we like to admit it or not. What do we do with that? We need peace in our life because we know that this is a busted up place and, and that I, I feel anything but peace most of the time. And just seeing peace as an ornament isn't the answer to those longings. And so we, we stepped into those things. And today we're like, of all places, we're, we're moving right into the prophets in Jeremiah 29. And we're looking at these people who are in exile and somehow coming together and saying, this is actually a, a text that leads us to joy and to see it. And so here's how we're going to do that. Just a little bit of a roadmap here. We're going to kind of, we're going to look at the, this story of the people of Israel Remember those people who last week we talked about at this moment of Passover being led out of slaves of Egypt. They're given this long run in Jerusalem and where it's really beautiful. The, the story that I'm really overly simplifying in which they, they have Jerusalem in which they're lifting up the king. But they grow distracted and they think that joy and hope and peace are found in all these other things. And what happens is that. Now Babylon comes and they are exiled. They're kicked out. They've lost their first love. And guess what? Babylon's not the central figure in it. God says actually he sent them into exile in our text. It's God who, who did this for them to, to not to teach them a lesson and punish them, but to lead them back to where real hope and peace and joy is found. That's what we get right here. So we're going to look at them. We're going to put it into a human picture of one in particular. It's a person called the Apostle Paul, and he's writing from prison. 
uh, chained to a wall and talking about uh, where hope and joy is found. He's actually giving us some of that. What we, we're going to define a couple of terms. We have three terms to define. And then what we are going to do is try to just say, what are these takeaways for us? What are these real handles in which I can walk out of here with? It sounds like a lot of work, but it's actually pretty simple. So let's start with defining our, our first word, that word Advent. We use it a lot. It comes up. It's, it's one of those stained glass words that you hear at church. You kind of hear uh, programs, but you don't always hear everywhere else. And, and what does it mean? It's not just one invented for church. Advent actually means the arrival, the arrival of someone or something. It's, it's this arrival that is happening. A, not, a notable person is arriving. A noticeable event is happening. It's the arrival of something. Which is interesting for us because sometimes we're just like, oh, it's just four weeks on the calendar. It's the weird church word that we say for the Christmas season so we don't sound like we're talking about Santa Claus the whole time. No, we're actually talking about something of deep significance even in the word Advent, that it points us right to this manger and far off Bethlehem. The arrival of this notable person, King Jesus, who surprises everyone in how he arrives. It is the arrival that matters. And so Advent is more than a history lesson. It's more than a weird word. We're not trying to throw out Latin words or, or Greek or Hebrew words to, to dazzle you. It's not just some happy mental exercise that we're trying to do. It's a tuning of our hearts. It's a reminder for us of an arrival an arrival that is taking place. And so God has made a way for his people. He's given us something for his people to have joy, which is our second word that we need to define. But how has he done that? And we'll go through this. We look at this, and Laura already got to the end. Like, we find joy through Jesus. It comes through a person in this. But our second word is joy. And this is important for us because joy is one of those that we get confused with all sorts of other things. Am I happy today? Am I happy? And we think we, we, we often cheapen joy as to just kind of conditionally where we are. But joy isn't a condition or it is a con- condition of where we're at. It is not just the moment and what I'm feeling in the moment. Did I get up on the wrong side of the bed? Did someone cut me off in traffic? Did I have a taco that didn't sit well? What, what am I feeling in all these types of things? It isn't, that's not joy. That's just comfort or happiness and some of those things. And again, there's some overlap with happiness, but our goal isn't happy in that I just get everything I want at the exact time I want in the way that I want. We're actually going after joy, which is unmoved. We had someone at our house last night. She came in. She's on her way back home from college for Christmas break. And she told us, she lives in Houston, and she told us that her house has flooded three times completely through hurricanes that have come through. And yet she just continued to say, like, God's been really good to us, and he met us and everything. We offered to take her to a coffee shop in town, the Harvey, a new place here in town, or in Oklahoma City, the Harvey. And she was like, I don't really like Harvey because it flooded my house last time. 
And yet she brought, she brought such a spirit of joy to our house, even through all the difficult circumstances. It's not just the moment that we feel ourselves in. It's something far more. It's a, it, it's something that is really beautiful for us. And so joy in this Advent season or this arrival season is for those maybe that have experienced a flood. For those that have experienced difficulties. It is for those whose life is completely put together and everything is like that Hallmark movie in a pretty town square. But it's also for those whose lives are busted up and who are experiencing loss in ways that they didn't anticipate. For those that life maybe have been turned upside down and life it just feels like, God, this isn't where I thought I would be. It's for exiles as well. Read with me what it says. And we'll pick it up in verse 4 of Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. You see, these these people had their lives disrupted. These people have been cast off. These people are gone. It tells us that God actually sent them into this, but it's not an accident. It's not a game that he's playing. It's not just that he is messing around with their status quo or their comfort. No, he actually puts them in this situation and says, live. Deep roots. Build a life in this. I know it's not where you thought you would be or what you thought this would look like, but, but actually live in this space. And what we need to see, the first takeaway that we have is that this isn't just Israel. This isn't just Israel's story. This is our story as well because sin will take us further than we ever thought that we would go. It will take us faster than we ever thought we would get there. And it can make a mess out of all sorts of things in which God can use it all to get our attention and draw us right back to where real joy is found. It isn't just Israel. We, too, are exiles. We're exiles. And we probably need to define that. That'll be our second. Uh, that'll be our third word to define. Exile is, is not just something that we see on the news. It's not just something that gets stacked up at a border. It isn't just because of war or famine. Exiles are actually things that uh, get real personal real quick. Because the term refers to those banished or not welcomed. And maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've felt not welcomed. Maybe you've experienced those things at work or in relationships. Worse, at home. Maybe with family, extended family or others. We're about to enter this season and where we're stepping into holidays. We're in the midst of the season, but we're, we're having these holidays that we're planning for. And that might feel more like exile than it feels like vacation. I drop my daughter off at UConn High School every day, and yet I'm also driving away the other day hearing of another school shooting 
and thinking about not knowing all the stories, certainly not, I'm not trying to know all of that, but someone felt really alone in a crowd of people. And I know that we have a crowd of people that shows up here each and every Sunday, and I'm certain that there are people who feel like exiles in our room. And maybe not because of this place, but because of life and because of circumstances and conditions and what that is. But God calls us in this moment, wherever you are at, he calls us not to to just pull back and pull away, not to retreat into our own things, but to make a life. You see, you may be experiencing loss right now. Christmas is a season in which isn't all lights and celebration and happy songs and and beautiful movies. Sometimes some of us are experiencing loss, death of a loved one, death of a dream, death caused by either decisions that we've made or decisions other people have made. Death that comes through addiction and pain and, and, and things that we had hoped for that haven't been realized. And so God is actually wants to speak to us in those places where we may feel banished and not welcome and, and say, it's right there. I want to meet you. I want to meet you in that space. I want to meet you in those dreams that you feel like you've lost, those areas in which you feel like you've just blown it more than anything else. I want to meet you in those spaces right there and show you that I am good. I want to show you that life is more than just happiness. These people were in a really tough situation. They have been cast out of all of life. They certainly had reason to wallow and to sit and to be like, oh, it's lost. Uh, I'm thinking uh, of all the feelings that I would go through. They had qualified for counseling services. They had qualified for all uh, any assistance. They, they were like, we would understand if it's like, no, I'm just going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. We would get that. They, they have had all of it. And yet they are called to live. And not just look back. They're called to find joy in the midst of it. Well, what do you have when you're, you're marrying off your children and you're having children and you're multiplying and you're uh, building a life and homes and everything? You're, they are called to find joy beyond their circumstances and to see it. And where will they see it? Where will they see it? This is where Paul helps us. And not just taking a group of people, but a person and seeing how it's applied. And so I want you to see this apostle Paul from chains in a prison for things that he didn't do, lies people said about him, and what Paul has to say. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6, he tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. That's pretty clear, except he goes in and says it again. Again, I will say, rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's in prison. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Where is his hope and his peace found? By taking it right to God. He's modeling for us what this looks like. You see, we're, we're not just to make do with our circumstances. We're not just to try harder. 
or, or just to kind of get up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and, and be a better person. And that's, that is not what we see in Scripture. It is always go to God. Look to God. Look to what he has done, what he's doing, and what he promises to do. And so I want to return to Jeremiah for a second, and we'll pick it up in verse 7, because it doesn't just stop at thinking of yourself and your family and your kids and your home. It doesn't stop there. It actually moves outward from there. And here's what he says in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. So they're sent to Babylon. This is like the worst of the worst. These are the Nazis of their day. These are the people that are crushing and oppressing them. And, and they're being told, don't just be there. Don't just wallow in this. Don't just look at everything you wish you had. Live. Plant roots. Be at peace in this city. And look for ways to bless that place that you're at. Pray to the Lord on, the, on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Israel's been hauled off. They're far from home, and these are quite literally the dark days, and they're, they're longing for rescue. We hear that again and again. They're longing for rescue, and it's in this space where God leads them to live brightly. As much as this Christmas season is about Jesus coming, the arrival of Jesus. It certainly is. What we see right here is it isn't just about an arrival. It's about ascending. And we know that, right? Because if Jesus didn't just appear. It wasn't like Jesus just said, Jesus stepped down from heaven, took the very form of a baby, and came, sent to earth to bless and to be a blessing. And just as Jesus has been sent, so are you and I, to be a blessing in our city, to be a blessing to those around us, to be a blessing right here in Yukon and surrounding, whether it's El Reno or Hinton, Kingfisher or, or, or Piedmont, Mustang, War Acres or around, name other ones, Union City, and you're at the Dairy Mart down there. You could go on and on to different places that you're called to be a blessing, to pray for your city and to say, God, how do I live brightly? In this place. Advent is not a passive thing for us. It's not just something that's like, ah, oh, here we go. I'm just going to check off days on my calendar for it. In fact, it's the opposite. Advent is the, the tilling of the soil of our hearts. It's the turning over of that soil. It's the breaking up of that, the, the rocky and the fallow. It's this breaking up of the places in my heart where I, I'm putting my hope and my peace and my joy. I'm trying to find joy in something else. It's actively tuning and, and tilling these hearts for the arrival. And I'm not caught up in all these tensions, but I'm longing longing for what brings real joy, real blessing in our life. It's where we will find and experience these things in Jesus. And so look where it goes. Verse, verse 10, it moves on. Verse 10 says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, pause. 70 years. 
If you're anything like me, you're thinking, like, God, like, man, I need you to finish that yesterday. What you're trying to teach me, the ways that you're refining me, all those lessons, lesson learned, God, let's go, let's go. 70 years. I want to ask for the people who find themselves in a position just like me. They're like, God, why are you taking so much time? Why aren't you, why don't you just fix this in my life? Are we willing to be faithful? Are you willing to say, God, you're good, even though you haven't pulled me out of this exile in my own life? But you are good, God. You are good. Help me to trust you. If it's another seven months or it's 70 years, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you, God. You see, 70 years. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And it's right here, friends. Let's be honest. This is maybe the most dangerous spot for us because we go right to that macrame verse that we have on our wall. We go right to the book, the uh, the bookmark that we keep that has this on there. We go right to this and and we turn it into a caricature and not that it, it, it miss that it comes out of seventy years. What we need to hear is that God's not playing games with their lives. He has a purpose and a plan. And I wonder who needs to hear that today. Who feels cast off by others? And maybe you feel cast off by God. And this passage lets you know that you are not. You are not. You may think that, like, all hope is lost. How will I be happy again? And this verse is telling you that there is joy beyond your circumstances. There's joy beyond what you feel in this moment. Joy that he offers because he tells you that he will visit you. He will fulfill his promises in your life. That he has a plan and a purpose and that he knows them. And I just wonder who needs to hear this today and where that needs to land in your life as a seed that grows. See, I sat down with a friend the other day and we were talking about, I mean, we were just talking about trauma, honestly. And, and I, I had this great conversation with my friend and, and just difficult things and and. And he was telling me, he said something really profound that I thought made sense for us today. He said, like, he said, your story is significant. It's significant. It matters. And that's where most of us kind of stop. We stop at like, man, this happened to you. Like, that's really sad. And then we all get sad together on that. And he said, but like, your story is significant. And it, it, I'm, I'm actually kind of like him right here 
not just to me over a cup of coffee, but to all of us. Like your story and what you've gone through and what you're carrying in this moment and the hurt and loss that you feel is significant. It's real. We don't want to rush past that. But it is not determinative. It doesn't determine your future. It doesn't determine your hope or your peace or your joy. Because what we see right here is that God is faithful. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And it is for your good. Again, it's helpful to hear from my friend, but I want you to hear from the Apostle Paul as well in chains and more of how Paul embodies this, how Paul is living this out. Philippians 1, same book right here. Verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, God is not done with you. You may feel like you've made a mess of it. You may feel like you're riding high or that you are in the pits and you don't know up from down right now. But what we see here is a guy living out the very same truth from Jeremiah 29, that God is not done with you. You're not too far gone. You haven't screwed up. Your life is not too much of a mess. Chains of prison do not keep God's purposes from working. And 70 years in exile are not going to stop this God from working in lives and fulfilling his purpose. Your sin, your hurt, your loss, your personal exile will not stop his plan. Later on in that same chapter, he says, in verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He knows this God. He knows who this God has said he is. He knows this story from Jeremiah. He knows who God is. And he has been changed by it. That in the midst of his circumstances, he's able to have joy and to rejoice and not to just fake it till you make it, but to again say to his own heart and others, rejoice. And I can almost feel the tension in the moment of like, yeah, Chad, that's nice, but that's not where I'm at today. I felt it in my own heart the other day, and you can feel it right here. I felt, you almost feel the tension in it. Nice, just like, how do I do that? <laughs> Great. I want joy. I believe you. I don't feel any of it right now. I get that. I get that. But I, I want you to notice how active God is in our verses. How, how active it is God taking all the initiative. It's God who meets them in this moment. It is God who will rescue them from their exile. And it's God that we point to in his arrival in our lives. It's right here. This is our third takeaway. It's that God meets them in their exile, and he joins us in it. 
Jeremiah 29 puts it this way. It says in verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. You see, the long story of the Bible makes some some things really important is that God is king. He rules and reigns. But he is good. That sin leads to exile as our hearts go astray. It leads us into places that we never thought we would end up. It leads us into spaces and places that we weren't intended for. It leads us to darkness and despair. And sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's life and circumstances. It's not that somebody hurt you. It's that life sucks sometimes. And it will steal your happiness, but it doesn't have to steal See, we're, we're not lighting these Christmas candles as, a, as, as just some set piece. They're not here just to, like, brighten up our room or to, to kind of, like, set the tone for all this. They're to, to remind us. They're to start kind of doing the dirt work in our hearts because joy is not just something that we're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get joy today. Or I'm going to put it on my wish list or my Amazon card or any of those things. See, joy is more like a garden cultivator. Joy is one that is, is tilled. And we start to see the fruit of it. In fact, the Bible refers to it as a fruit of the Spirit. One that grows out of a gift from the Spirit. God giving those things in our life. And it's one that, that it, it takes tending to. We have to remind ourselves that God is good even though my circumstance is not. God hasn't forgotten me, even though uh, I feel like it. it. Today, in this moment right now, I feel like it. I don't feel like singing uh, joyful, joyful. But God is still good. And he isn't absent of any of it. Joy is a cultivated garden that surprises us. And that supplies us and that feeds our soul and that nurtures us in real deep ways. When we, we pursue happiness, it's actually the exact opposite. It's, it's closer to a vending machine. And when all we're doing is pursuing happiness, it's like going after that honey bun. And believe me, I have. I have. I know the feeling. It's like we, we run to this thing, but it won't satisfy. It won't last. And 10 minutes later, you're going to be hungrier and worse off than you were before. If all we're doing is pursuing happiness, we're not going to get either one of them. But when we cultivate this garden and we look to this person of Jesus and we stop and we say, it is in you, you King Jesus that has not forgotten me. You haven't left me here alone and you're not giving up on me. You're going to finish this work in my life. It's there where we experience the fruit of joy that also leads to happiness beyond our circumstances. Beyond every bit of it. 
Joy is found in the person and work of Jesus. When we are weary in the brokenness of our, of, of, of our world around us, we remember a baby born in a manger. That God didn't stay at a distance, he came to us. He surprised us even in that. And when you think all hope is lost, remember the surprise of Jesus who meets us in the weirdest, strangest places and brings hope. And we find ourselves weary in our sin. We find peace. And where do we find peace? We find it right through the cross in which Jesus alone is the only answer to our sin. And we're told in Scripture, in Colossians, that our sin was literally nailed to the cross through the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's no other peace found on earth except through him. And when we're weary from all that seems unfulfilled, for all the places that we feel cast off and vanished, when we feel weary and left to our own selves to try to figure it out, we remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And he said, though you feel helpless and even hopeless, I rose from the dead. And nothing is impossible with this God. Will you bow your heads with me?